Well, if you have your copies of God's Word with you, whether that be a Bible or a tablet or a device that has the Scriptures on them, I would invite you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, specifically into the 6th chapter. We continue to make our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth. And this morning we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, a short text, but I think a text that has pastoral wisdom and counsel for us from Paul, but really ultimately from the Lord God himself. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open up your word to us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, illuminate our minds and our hearts, that as we hear your word, as we study it, as we mark it, that we would know more and more who you are, Lord, that we would be more and more thankful for what you have done, and that we would look more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. This morning in our text, the Apostle Paul is giving us pastoral counsel. And there is a great advantage in this because this pastoral counsel does not come from me. It comes from the Apostle Paul, and ultimately it comes from the Lord God himself, for the Lord our God has inspired this text. It occurs in our Bibles for a reason. It was written to the Corinthians, but God wanted you to have this text. He wanted you to have this counsel, and so he has set it down in his word forever, eternally. This counsel flows from Paul's love to the Corinthians. We ought to listen to it. Because as I've said, ultimately, this text flows from God's love to his people, to you and to me. And so this morning, in just three verses, we see three things from Paul. Paul tells us first about speaking openly in verse 11. Speaking openly and clearly to others. And then second, he tells us about hearing well in verse 12. That we are to hear well what ministers bring to us. And then finally, we read about loving eagerly in verse 13. Speaking openly, hearing well, and loving eagerly. 
That's what we have before us. So let's begin then by looking at verse 11 and Paul's advice to us to be speaking openly. Now, this text before us might just be the height of Paul's personal pastoral appeal to the Corinthians. Now, we have seen throughout this book, Paul get emotional. We have seen him appeal to the church. He has just concluded a section in which he has laid open his struggles and why he fought through them for the Corinthians. Now, the reason that Paul battled through his struggles and hard circumstances was to benefit the church at Corinth. And so now, Paul concludes with an appeal. It's an appeal to them to see his love for them. And it's further an appeal for them to model that love to others. And so Paul addresses them directly here in verse 11. He says, Corinthians. He calls them by name, as it were. Now, this is something that Paul does only rarely in the New Testament. There are only two other occasions where Paul does this to a congregation. The first is in Galatians chapter 3, where he addresses the Galatians and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you to take you away from the truth of the gospel? And so what we see there is Paul's love for the church at Galatia is so strong that he cries out to them to repent, to come back to the gospel. Then we see it again in Paul's letter to the Philippians, in Philippians 4, where Paul is, has such a love for that church that is so faithful, that is so supportive, that he says to them, Philippians, he calls them by name. And so now here, this is the third instance of this. Paul wants the Corinthians to hear his heart. This church was very near and dear to Paul. We know that he wrote two of his longest letters to the church at Corinth. By our best estimates, Paul has likely written two other letters to this church that did not survive. And you can see throughout this letter, Paul's emotion, his love for this church. But we should further imagine that the Lord himself wants this text directed to us. And so Paul uses here an interesting phrase to get our attention. He says, we have spoken freely to you. Now, literally what Paul says is, our mouth has been opened to you. Now, this phrase is interesting because it has both a Hebrew and a Greek background. So Paul can take advantage of that. He can use a phrase that is steeped in his culture and in the language that he's using. So in Hebrew, when you say to open the mouth, that means you are going to teach someone. Perhaps the best example of that is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, we are told that Jesus opened his mouth and began to teach them. And you know all that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer and so much about the Christian life. But in Greek, this phrase has a different connotation. It has the sense of straightforward speech, of honest and open speech. We might put it in our common parlance, this is straight talk. Nothing held back. Clear, 
and open. Now, there's another thing about this verb to open the mouth. It's actually a perfect tense verb. Now, why is that important for the non-grammarians among us? What that means is a perfect tense verb is a verb in which the action occurs in the past, but it has present consequences or effects. Something that has happened in the past is now true right before us. And so that's what Paul's saying. I have opened up my mouth to you in the past. I have always done that. And just as I have, so now I am opening my mouth to speak clearly and plainly to you. So Paul is teaching them, but he is specifically being open and free with his speech. Now, the first thing that I think we should learn from that is that we are to be open and clear when we speak to others. We are not to be deceptive in our words. We are not to try to trick others by the way we phrase things or speak to them. Now, it is true there is a way of speaking that tries to hide the truth. There's actually a way of speaking that tries to hide the fact that you're speaking to someone. But Paul's not doing that. We are to follow him and to have our speech be plain and clear. But what does speaking like that look like? For the Christian, it means not hiding the truth of what God has said. We live now in a time in which much of the Bible is embarrassing or hard for others to hear. The Bible is not a popular book in our culture. The truths of God's word are not immediately gravitated to by the people in our culture. If we speak God's truth, we can risk being accused of being anti-intellectual, of using the scriptures as a crutch, of not really knowing who we are, of not being modern, of not being up-to-date, of not being accultured. Because what the Bible has to say today about personal morality is not popular. What the Bible has to say about men's and women's place in the world is not popular. And as a matter of fact, what the Bible says about the exclusive nature of salvation to be found in Jesus Christ is supremely not popular in our culture today. But I want to give you encouragement. This is not new to the 21st century. This is not an American phenomenon. This has always been the case. When Paul was speaking to the culture that he lived in, the truths of God's word were embarrassing. They were rejected. They were looked down upon. As a matter of fact, when Paul spoke to people around him, they looked at him the same way they might look at you or me today and say, why should I believe what an old book has to say? Because in Paul's day, the Bible was an old book. It had been written centuries before in the Old Testament. And so this is the way of the Christian to stand by God's truth, to speak boldly and clearly what God has said in his word. Paul says that a believer with integrity does not shade the truth. He does not withhold it. But speaking openly does not mean being harsh. I think all too often we can fall into the opposite error 
of not speaking boldly for the truth. We can think, well, if I have to tell the truth, I don't need to make any effort at all to smooth it over. I'll let it fly with all the force it can. And so we can be tempted to be harsh and be uncaring with others with the truth. And then if someone is upset, we just look and say, well, that's what the truth does. It's not my fault. You just can't handle the truth. So Paul concludes his thought for us here in verse 11. He has spoken openly and freely, but the context is clear. The context we find at the end of the verse. Our heart is wide open, he says. Paul is saying that the purpose of speaking openly is to show your love for the one that you're speaking to. You cannot separate truth from love. This is why Paul writes explicitly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, that we are to speak the truth in love. It means that if we want to properly represent God's truth, we cannot leave out love. And if we want to express love for others, we cannot leave out the truth. Truth and love must come together. That's because this kind of love must be on display. It should not be something that can be missed. And so Paul uses another perfect tense verb that is a past action with a present result or effect when he says, our heart has been wide opened to you. It's, he's saying that my heart has been open in the past and so it is now. Now, this word to be wide open means to enlarge, to make broad. It only occurs in three places in the Bible, and you're looking at two of them. In verse 11 and in verse 13. But I think we can get some assistance in understanding this verb by the other place where we find it, which is in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus in Matthew 23 describes the Pharisees making broad their phylacteries. Now, if you're worried about not knowing what a phylactery is, that's okay. What a phylactery is, is a prayer band. And so what people used to do back in the days of the Old Testament is they would write scriptures, portions of psalms, prayers, and they would put it like around their arm or around their leg or even on their forehead to remind them to pray, to remind them of God's words. It's kind of like the ancient equivalent of a post-it note. You may do that in your home. You may, in your bathroom mirror, put a post-it note with a scripture. Or on your refrigerator door, a post-it note with a scripture. The problem was that the Pharisees tried to make their prayer bands so wide and big that you could read the scripture from 20 or 30 feet away. They wanted to make sure everybody knew they were the prayers. They were the ones who were holy. They had God's word at hand. But you can see now what that verb means. They were making it big. They were making it large. And so if we think about it this way, our hearts are to be enlarged when we speak to others. People should be able to see your heart 20 or 30 feet away, if you will. This is what we do. Now, an enlarged heart is not something that you would want to have happened to you physically or medically speaking. If we were to ask Dr. Morris, what 
an enlarged heart would do to you, he would say, well, you have to be careful about that because it won't pump the blood properly. You can be more susceptible to heart disease. There are all sorts of problems that come up physically. But that's not what we're talking about here. Spiritually, an enlarged heart is wonderful. That means that there is plenty of room for affection and love in our hearts for others. And we are to let others know that. Love is something to be displayed, to be made known, never hidden. Do you live that way? Do your co-workers know that you love them? Do your fellow students know that you love them? Do your neighbors, your friends, well, how would they know? You have to speak openly of your love for others. Then in the next verse, in verse 12, Paul writes about listening or hearing. And he doesn't do this by a direct command. James, for example, tells us that we are to be quick to hear. No, instead, Paul does it by the way that he counsels the Corinthians. He tells them the way he speaks and feels in verse 11. And now he corrects them with respect to this same matter. It could not be clearer. It's almost harsh the way Paul puts it. My heart is wide open, but yours is not. Now I say almost harsh because Paul has already made clear that he is speaking in love. In fact, if he didn't love the Corinthians, he would have remained silent here. So Paul speaks to them, correcting them, that they would hear him and change. He uses a verb here in verse 12 that is the opposite of the verb that he uses in verse 11. In verse 11, the heart is wide open. It is enlarged. And now here in verse 12, he tells them that their hearts are narrow and restrictive. It's the same verb that he used before in chapter 4, verse 8 of this book. When he said that he was crushed by hard circumstances. He was hemmed in, squeezed. The idea here is such that the Corinthians are squeezing the love out of their hearts. This is Paul speaking boldly and lovingly. And it reminds us that when we minister to others, sometimes we have to bring criticisms. Not to be critical for its own sake. Paul is not trying to hurt them here. He has an end in mind, which we'll see shortly. He doesn't want them to stay in a place that's unhealthy and harmful for them. And so in this specific instance, what Paul is talking about is reconciliation. Now, remember the whole context of this letter. The church has allowed attacks against Paul. They have cooled in their love for Paul. But Paul has not stopped loving them. He is saying, the problem in our relationship is not me. I still love you dearly. So if there is a problem, and there is, then the problem is on your side of the relationship. You have closed off your hearts to me. Now, criticism is hard to bear. 
If we're honest with ourselves, we don't like to be criticized. We would much rather be praised and told how great everything is and how great we are. So much so that often we assume a bad motive when someone criticizes us. And it is true that some critics have a bad motive. They seek to hurt and to tear down. But criticism is also necessary. We only grow when we know our shortcomings. And those who love us most challenge us. Think about parents and children. Think about coaches and athletes. Think about teachers and students. We want others to grow, to excel. And in this instance, we want others to grow more like Christ. Paul is telling you today to be prepared for loving, constructive criticism in your life. When it comes, hear it well. Do not ignore it. Do not push it aside. See it as a gift from the Lord to make you grow in Christ. Well, how then can we tell the difference between harsh criticism and loving criticism? Well, loving criticism provides a solution for others. The hateful critic does not want you to improve or to grow. He simply wants to hurt you. But the constructive, loving critic wants you to change, to become more like Jesus. And so when you hear a criticism, listen for the solution that is offered. The great danger is that when we hear criticism, we close our ears. We don't think that the criticism comes with a purpose to make us better. Now, if you are doing something wrong, like the way in which you swing a golf club, or the way in which you ride a bike, or the way in which you're cooking some food, and the result is a failure, wouldn't you want to be shown the right way? Wouldn't you want someone to provide you with a solution? The same is true of spiritual matters in life. And this is why we should listen to those who are older than us. So, I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that those who are older than us are somehow wiser in the sense that they are more intelligent they are just more perceptive. And then the problem comes when the younger among us see someone older make a mistake. And they think, well, I don't have to listen to older people. They're not better than me. Well, the truth is, I hate to say it, older people aren't inherently wiser than younger people. What they are is more experienced. And so I have had 50 years of sinning and making mistakes, and falling flat on my face. And so I have more experience at life and battling sin than anyone who's under 50. Now, I have less experience than those who are older than me, so I should listen to them. You see, the experience that God gives us as believers allows us to help others to grow because we don't want others to make the same mistakes we have. We don't want them to give in to the same sins we have. And so, but that's what Paul's doing here. 
he has more experience in the faith than the Corinthians. And so he says the problem is not with him. The problem is actually with them. Now that may sound self-serving at first, but it's not. Paul says that his heart is wide open and he spent the last six chapters proving that. He talked about all of the hard circumstances that he's seen and gone through. He talked about all the visits he made to them and the visits he avoided making to them for their benefit. And even now, he is refusing to walk away from the relationship. He is holding on to them. If they would open up their hearts, if they would widen their affections for him, that would be the solution to the problem. Finally, Paul reminds us that such an open speech and hearing well is a result of love. We see this in verse 13. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. So here Paul gets very personal, even more than usual. We've seen this before. Paul will switch from the pronoun we to the pronoun I. And he uses I when he wants to get even more personal. He writes, I am talking to you. But he also reminds them of the connection that they have to him. He is saying, I am talking to you as children. Now, some translations even supply, I am talking to you as my children. Because that's the sense of it. The Corinthians are his children in the Lord. If it weren't for Paul... They would never have heard the gospel. They would never have believed. They would never have come to Christ. Paul is their father in the faith. They are his children. They are forever connected to Paul. That is the foundation of Paul's love for them. But that connection leads to an even greater connection. They are all together the children of God. The Corinthians have been brought into the family of God. They are eternally connected to Paul because they are all united in Christ. And so Paul reminds them of their obligation as children of God. And he does this in the phrase in verse 13, in return. Now the Greek is a bit more complicated. It's perhaps could be translated something like, now in a fair exchange, or we might say, in the same way, in exchange. Well, in exchange for what? Exchange your widened hearts to me, Paul says, as I have widened my heart for you. Respond to my wide heart with your wide heart. Respond in love. And so Paul uses the same verb in verse 13 that he used before in verse 11. Paul is telling them this is what family does. You may know this from your own family. Part of what it means to be a family is to love one another. This is what Paul is saying. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he has made you a part of a family. He has given you brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, people to love you. You are to love them. 
But finally, I think that there is more here to our love. It's not explicitly in our text, but it is behind our text. Remember that Paul has spoken freely here to us in verse 11. And what he has spoken freely about is the gospel of God's grace and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ for sinners. You can't take these three verses in isolation from what Paul has been saying. There is a reason that they come right after Paul has told us about the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, Paul's call for reconciliation with the Corinthians is grounded in the reconciliation of sinners to God. He's told us about the reconciliation that Jesus has accomplished by taking our sins on himself and by putting his righteousness on us. He told us that today is the day of salvation and that we are not to wait a moment to go to Jesus. And he told us that we are to work hard not to put any barriers between people and Jesus. So when Paul tells the Corinthians and you and me to widen our hearts, he's including a kind of wide love that he had for them before they knew Jesus. If we don't have that kind of love for the lost, we won't speak freely to them. We won't endure trials and difficulties for them. We won't serve our Lord as we should, being ministers of reconciliation. In conclusion, in these three short verses, Paul is giving us direct counsel about how to live. He's telling us how we should speak, how we should hear, but most of all, how we should love. Is your heart wide open? Is it wide open to those around you? Is it wide open to those who are close to you? Most importantly, is it wide open to Jesus? I have spoken freely to you this morning. My heart is wide open. Widen your hearts also. Let's pray.